Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to welcome two awesome, mindful folks into our leadership studio today. And I have Elaine Porcher, who's here with us, and Matt Flint, both in the house. Elaine and I have worked together for, I think, almost 20 years now. And Matt, eight, almost nine. So he's a baby in our organization. (laughs) Eight full-time, yes. <laughs> Eight full-time. He worked for us part-time, too. He wants that counted, folks. We count you, Matt. We see you. <laughs> um, today, we're talking about mindfulness and specifically mindfulness at work. But if you're out there not at work or like many of us working from your homes or just clean in your closet, this is for you, no matter who it is. But we are also talking to those of you who run organizations or teams and want to figure out like, what is this mindfulness thing and how should I incorporate it with my teams? How shouldn't I? What are some of the possible pitfalls of doing it and what are the possible benefits? So I invited these two because they have been instrumental in our organization at implementing some of their passions around mindfulness into our workplace and also into some of the curriculum and some of the workshops that we provide, whether it's in classrooms here in New York City or whether it's in workplaces throughout the country. So I'm welcoming them to talk a little bit about it because they have a lot more experience in this than I do and kind of get a sense of where we are and what we what things we can agree on, what we can't. We can also might have very different opinions and that's good too because everybody is really venturing into this world of mindfulness and seeing how it can relate to our workplace. Something that for years was really kept outside of work is now kind of been a part of it. So first of all, let's just start off with just for a baseline and I'll ask both of you this question and I'll start with Elaine. So Elaine, what would you say is mindfulness? For those folks out there that might need a clarifying definition. Right, right. So I want to start off by saying, hi, Christine. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, I'm doing a workshop on mindfulness that's coming up soon. And it's for students. And I thought, let me Google the definition of mindfulness. Because I think when we talk about mindfulness, a lot of us generally think about clearing our minds. We have to clear our minds and we must have an empty mind. And I I think that's such a misnomer because mindfulness is about being mindful of you, mindful of your thoughts. So when I looked up this definition, the definition said having an empty mind, but this was like on the internet. So, you know, the internet has like everything under the sun, right? But I thought, oh man, foiled again. But yeah, when the practice that I engage in, in in mindfulness, and so does Matt, is we practice being mindful of our thoughts, mindful of what's happening. And as we're sitting, as we say, we're sitting on the cushion, we're looking at what's coming up for us, noticing our bodies, noticing ourselves. So it is just that being really mindful and bringing our attention to what is happening in the moment. 
So not mind empty, but mindful. Correct. Because there's no way we're going to empty our minds. It's just not a thing that's realistic. So uh, we are mindful of what's coming up. And so often we're on autopilot. Like we're trying to multitask, which is not a thing that humans can really do successfully. We can try to do it, but it's not a thing we can do successfully. And, And one of the multitasking things that happens for us is we're thinking about a lot of things all the time. Right. But we're trying to push some of these thoughts to the back of our mind so that we can take care of the task that is in hand. But what's happening is our brains are trying to prioritize what is necessary for survival in that moment. So even though we're thinking about different things, it's it's making its own priorities. So we're multitasking our thoughts, but they're not always coming through well. So when we are mindful and when we're sitting on the cushion, we can really take the time to look at each thought that's coming up and give it the attention that it needs. All right. Well, for those of you, there's two things I'm coming back to on that, which is the cushion, because I'm sure some of you are like, what cushion is she talking about? <laughs> so I'll let you just clarify that in a minute, because uh, not all workplaces have cushions. And the other one is multitasking, which I think we'll come back to later on in the episode when we talk about some uh, tips, because I think multitasking is one where asked that Uh, when they apply for a job? Are you good at multitasking? And we all have our answer of, oh, yes, we can handle lots of things at once. And so then through mindfulness and through a lot of research that we're finding is that's not necessarily true anymore. So let's talk about maybe how we can do jobs that require so-called multitasking in a way that that uses mindfulness, but allows us to get things done. Um, So Matt, is there any difference to how or anything you want to add on to what mindfulness is to what Elaine said? Yeah, I think I agree with Elaine's definition. I think that's, um, I I really like how she started out by contrasting this idea that a lot of beginners probably have. And when I say beginner, I mean first being introduced to the topic, right? Of like, how do I empty the mind? How can I meditate where I'm not thinking thoughts, right? So getting away from that is is the first step. So I appreciate Elaine pointing that out. And I would agree with her definition beyond that. I would add one thing to mindfulness. And and there's a word I want to use, which is reactivity. And I want to come back to that later. There's a, when it's story time later, I have a story for you about, about reactivity, but I think mindfulness includes that, right? Like Elaine said, watching our experience, being in our bodies, you know, bring our attention to what's coming up. And it is that. And I think also there's this subtle part to it that is often forgotten, which is once we do bring our attention to what's coming up, also being aware of how we're reacting to it, right? I think it's one thing to know, like, okay, I'm very frustrated right now, or, you know, there's a sense of anger here. That's a part of it. And I think the next part is, for me, where the where it becomes really illuminating is how do I feel about that, right? Am I, am I annoyed that I'm feeling angry right now? Am I annoyed that I'm having these recurring thoughts and I'm not breathing on the way I thought I was, right? There's that sort of deeper element where if we're not aware of that, if we're not mindful of that, this whole level of reactivity can be built around our experience that we're not even aware of. And that tends to spill out into other areas of interactions uh, in all areas of our lives, of course. But, you know, if we're specifically talking about the workplace, you know, what am I bringing to that situation? This reacting to that, uh, that's very subtle, you know, can, can I be aware of that reacting to? I love that. And I'm looking forward to that story in a little bit. So I wrote that one down too. reactivity. It reminded me of, of something. Okay. So now we know a little bit about what it is and you could probably already start to guess of based on just what 
Elaine and Matt have shared, like why a mindfulness practice or a mindfulness environment at work could be beneficial. But in general, one of the things I like to think of is we talk all the time about that really great leaders have a high you know, EQ as well as IQ. So a a high emotional intelligence quotient. And when just as a reminder, when we talk about emotional intelligence, it's self-awareness plus self-regulation. And mindfulness works on both of those things, right? Matt talked about the reactivity, you know, when you just want to react to something. And and then Elaine also talked about that kind of self-awareness that comes from looking at what are the thoughts going on in your brain. It's funny, I was looking at a, some data on self-awareness. And do you guys know what percentage of people claim to be self-aware? Just what percentage of people do you think? I'm just going to take guesses. I'm putting you on the spot. How many people do you think claim to be self-aware? Sounds like Dunning-Kruger effect already, but... (laughs) I'm going to guess it's a high number. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a high number. I want to say like, okay, 75, 75%. How much? 75. Elaine says 75. I'm going to go with 85 claim to be... Okay. (laughs) What's the highest without going over? Um, Those of you out there are guessing it's 95%. I just saw this statistic on LinkedIn Learning, but 95% claim to be self-aware and they say that only about 10 to 15 percent of people actually are how about that <laughs> and i i wonder if that's the you know includes the five percent that say they aren't self-aware because <laughs> it seems like you'd have to be say you're not in order to be self-aware but i don't know um all right so anyway part of mindfulness is in that practice it's a good practice for raising your emotional intelligence, which is one of those things that help you, whether you're someone trying to advance in your career, work better with people, get along better with your colleagues, or you have a team of people or multiple teams of people reporting to you, really having some sort of practice of increasing that emotional intelligence will help you and help your organization and help all the honestly help your personal life too. But why any, any other benefits that why people should focus on this? Like, let's say we have a lot of folks listening that don't do anything, even though fascinating that I was looking at Harvard Business Review says that 50% of workplaces now, 50% include some sort of mindfulness practice that they, it's like a $50 billion industry or something, which is really fascinating. So if you're not doing it, if you're part of that other 50%, maybe there's something you can learn today. And if you're part of the 50% doing it, maybe there's a way to do it a little bit better or a little bit different or, you know, um, avoid some of the pitfalls that could happen from either not doing it or doing it. So any other things that you guys, any other benefits that people might see that we can get them on board with listening to the rest of this episode by knowing there are some benefits? Yeah. So, you know, you, you uh, reminded me when you were saying that about, you know, those statistics about the industry and 50% of companies doing this. So in preparation for, for this call, this podcast uh, invitation, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, you know, th- we're trying to narrow it to mindfulness in the workplace. So I'm just going to do a little Google search, you know, sort of like Elaine, you know, Googled what is mindfulness? What, what are the <laughs> benefits of mindfulness? What is the most recent research of mindfulness in the workplace? So I, I just typed that in. And it was overwhelming, the results. Like, it was just like, it was unending about the benefits of mindfulness in the workplace, how mindfulness increases productivity, TED Talks on why you should do mindfulness in the workplace. Like, it was just like, ding, 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 ding. And I thought, wow, this is this is a lot, right? And so what I was thinking from that was, I don't really need to click on any of these because they're all going to tell me if you do mindfulness, it's going to make everything better, right? That was That was the underlying message. 
Uh, and I, you know, I say that sort of jokingly, but I think it's clear that the research does point to that if you're focused on one task, you know, we'll, we'll narrow this down to the workplace, but if you can stay focused, you know, you're going to, the quality of that one task will be improved rather than if you're doing that among other tasks, right? So I think that part is abundantly clear. But to answer your question specifically about what else, for me, I think what mindfulness is really showing me, and this is part of my personal practice, is, again, going back to that reactivity, it's not so much how long can I remain undistracted on a particular task. What for me is very illuminating is if I have an interaction with a coworker, what did I bring into that interaction that I either was totally unaware of or did have some basic awareness that at least gave me a moment or two of space to think before, before I speak to Christine, am I aware of how I'm feeling right now? Am I aware of what I'm thinking? Am I aware of the narrative or not? Did I just go in and say what I needed to say, right? And for me, that speaks to the EQ, right? This, this emotional intelligence. And that spills out in all areas of our lives, right? That's the interpersonal, understanding my internal experience and how that's influencing an interpersonal experience. And that, that, I think, is where the next stage of mindfulness in the workplace would be helpful, right? Beyond the, the multitasking, now the interpersonal. Great. Elaine, any other thoughts? Sure, I would love to add to that. Piggybacking on what Matt said is in addition to awareness is regulating our emotions. What mindfulness does is it helps to regulate our emotions. And there have been studies that have been done on monks that have meditated over a long period of time where they've put their brains under an fMRI machine and saw the changes, the different parts of our brain that help to regulate emotions has changed. Um, so for instance, um, in our prefrontal cortex or in our um, dorsal medial frontal cortex, there's a part of our brain called, we like to call the me center. And this part of our brain is really um, sensitive to emotion. It gets a little more excitable at times, easily excitable. Um, however, there's another part of our brain called um, the lateral prefrontal cortex, which is also, the, also called the assessment center. And this part of our brain helps to regulate our emotions. And there's a line between the dorsal medial prefrontal prefrontal cortex and uh, the lateral prefrontal cortex. But that line between those two parts of our brain is really weak. And what we want to do is strengthen that connection between the me center and the assessment center so we can regulate our emotions better. Meditation over time through these studies done on monks looking at these fMRI machines, we've been able to see that over time, monks have been able to regulate their emotions and that connection is a lot stronger. Now, where that comes into play is in the office. For instance, when we get our reviews, our reviews are coming up soon. <laughs> and what happens in our reviews, we're told five things that we do fantastic, right? These are these five things that we do great. And we're like, yay, we do these great things. And then Christine tells us one thing that we need to work on what are we going to do? We're going to focus on that one thing. And that's where that me center and assessment center, if it's not strengthened, I'm going to freak out. And this freak out may overshadow some of the other good work that I do, that all I'm going to do is be focused on this, this, um, this freak out moment. And 
how that comes into play also with my relationships is maybe I'm thinking Christine doesn't like me or she thinks my work is terrible. And so it affects my work down the line. But through mindfulness and through mindfulness meditation in strengthening that line between the assessment center and and the me center, I'm able to kind of see this for what it is an opportunity for me to grow, an opportunity for me to do better at my job. And then I can build a stronger relationship with Christine, which allows her to give me more feedback that I might need or want in order to do a better job at work. Awesome. Thank you, Professor. We we got a little science up in here this morning. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's so interesting because we can talk about these things. I mean, Elaine and Matt, as well as some other folks in our office, worked on a curriculum that is for New York City students, um, as well as all over the country. But specifically, we're doing it in some New York City schools now. And I'm, I'm most fascinated by that because back in the 90s, when I was working in some, I went into teach in some schools, we were not allowed to use the term meditation. Like it had a religious context to people and it was sometimes off-putting. And you still may have that in some workplaces, but now we used to have to use the term visualization. Somehow visualization, you know, athletes were doing it, you know, so they they would imagine getting that ball in the hoop beforehand and statistics were show if they took that moment to visualize it going in and to breathe before they took that free throw or whatever, their free throw numbers were going up. So we were allowed to use visualization, but we weren't allowed to use the term meditation. And I think that's so funny because it's completely different now in terms of the way I see it most places that I go to, but I'm not sure it's everywhere, right? And so I think that that's something you have to know about your workforce and that if people bristle at that, there's other words like visualization or whatever you can use if meditation feels too off-putting to folks also. But I just think it's so fascinating that now uh, mindfulness is such a big uh, focus and that it's in 50% of companies and we weren't even allowed to do it in schools beforehand. I also say that of what's happening in schools, because if it's happening in high schools uh, now and students in elementary, middle and high school are practicing some sort of mindfulness, even if it's a, a moment of silence before the teacher starts the day or a way to calm students that come back from lunch or whatever. The reason I say that is because the, that means those students Go, then go on to the workforce pretty soon. And so what we'll see in another 10 years or even less if they're in high school, what we're going to see is people in the workforce using those techniques or being more comfortable with that and even having the expectation that that's happening at work. So that's why I think a lot of those, what's happening in education, we see show up in workplaces later on. So, all right, so let's jump in since we, I think most people who are still listening, if you're still with us out there, it's because you find this someone interesting and you want some maybe tips or pitfalls or stories. So uh, let me just start because I love story time. Um, I love when we are able to share things where maybe it worked really well, or maybe we kind of stepped in it um, and messed up and people can maybe relate to that or learn from it or whatever. So Matt, I'm going to pick on you because you said you had one. So um, what story do you have? Yeah. Um, it's a funny and story. Um, let me, let me take a step back. I think just to set this up a little bit, I think it's important to take a moment to just to be reminded of where mindfulness comes from originally. Again, for listeners out there who, who may be new to this, you know, the, the concept of mindfulness is rooted in the teachings of the Buddha. 
you know, we're talking 25, 2600 years ago, so a long time ago. And I think it's fascinating that, that this practice was developed so long ago and has such an important application today, right? It says so much about just the the sophisticated understanding of, of psychology that the Buddha and, and those like him had so long ago, right? And, and one thing that is important about, and I'm going to use a little bit of jargon here, uh, that is important about mindfulness is that according to these teachings of the Buddha, it was a wholesome state, right? Meaning that you can't have an unwholesome state and a wholesome state at the same time. It has to be one or the other. And so what does that mean in practice, right? What does it mean away from those terms? So if the modern understanding of mindfulness, I think is certainly how it's used in the workplace, tends to be this what could also be translated as awareness or recognition, right? It's like being aware of what's happening, recognizing what's happening. But, and here's the key, if what's happening is still acting as a filter to your mind, right? If it's still influencing your thinking and your behavior, you can be aware of that, but it's not fully mindful yet according to these teachings, right? So there needs to be, again, that's where the reactivity comes in. I can be aware of my anger, but if that anger is still influencing me, if it's still compelling me to say something, or if it's still influencing my behaviors, right, there's another step that I need to, to take to fill that gap. So brings me to this morning, which is was my story. <laughs> it's in preparation for this podcast, knowing Christine was going to be moderating. As you said, you love stories. We all know Christine loves stories. And I thought, I can't not have a story for Christine. <laughs> so I'm thinking last night, and as I go, as I'm fond to fall asleep, what's a great story for Christine? Uh, nothing's coming to mind. I didn't sleep well last night just just because I didn't didn't get a great night's sleep. So I, I woke up feeling tired, um, just feeling like I really, really could use a lot more sleep. So as the morning progresses, I'm just have this sense of feeling tired, frustrated, you know, and then, of course, I start thinking the mind just starts chattering. This is not a great day for the podcast. Why why'd I even agree to do this podcast? You know, like. <laughs> Honestly, I should email Christine right now and tell her this. Can we reschedule? I don't have a story for you anyway. Yeah, of course. I'm not going to do that because I know Christine would be very upset. But like, I feel terrible. I need sleep. I need more coffee. Like, this is just the worst day. Why do we even agree to this kind of stuff? I got reviews I need to complete. I've got a staffing issue at one of my schools. Like, my mind is really giving it to me, right? And I'm aware of, of being tired. I'm aware that I'm frustrated. And I probably was in this way for an hour, like, you know, eating breakfast, showering, you know, getting my kids ready for school and just having this experience of what, again, according to the Buddhist teaching is called aversion, right? It's, it's a very basic primal not wanting, right? This is the experience I'm having and I don't want it, right? And my mind is just reinforcing, the narrative is reinforcing all the reasons why I should not want this experience, why this shouldn't be happening. And then I was taking my son to school and I'm driving down the road. And I don't know what it was in some moment, maybe it was the light hitting the windshield. I, I don't really know why, but all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, oh, right. You're not accepting what is right. And it was this moment of like, you are just simply not accepting what is, you know, and somehow that really deflated the whole thing, right? It took, it took the, the ferocity out of my narrative. It's like, you're just not accepting what is. And that to me, that is the real power of mindfulness. It doesn't necessarily change the underlying cause, right? I'm still tired. I still feel like I could go get some more sleep. I, I hope I get more sleep tomorrow, right? I still feel like I could use another cup of coffee, right? It doesn't change that. But my reactivity, right? It's that level of reacting. It's that level of rejecting what is, that non-acceptance, the mind that says, I don't want this experience. That was what was raking me over the coals. 
And now looking back, I can see, and I couldn't see it at the time, was what was my interactions with my son like this morning as I was getting him ready for school, right? What, what was I like as I was eating breakfast or getting his breakfast ready, right? I was so caught up in it that I couldn't see it, right? And it wasn't until later that I realized, okay, there was a filter that whole time. It was a filter of aversion. It was that filter that the whole world I was seeing, my, my interactions, my internal experience was this basic idea of, I don't want this experience, right? And I couldn't see it until that mindfulness, that moment of mindfulness then made it clear to me. And which was funny. I was like, wait a second. That's the story I need to share with Christine. Like, that's what it looks like. So, yeah. In action, right? Like, that's a great example. Yeah. Just you're you're saying no to it. And then when you had the moment of mindfulness, it revealed what it was, which was yeah, what it a, was. A basic rejecting right? of my experience, right? I love that because if you think about it, how many days do we spend all day in that? Absolutely. Like you only had to spend a, f a few hours. Well, I was lucky, right? right? So <laughs> it I could have gone on a lot longer and it usually does. Trust me. Well, you know, my husband said this to me once in a really powerful moment. He said, listen, Christine, this stuff doesn't go away. It's just a matter of reducing the time that you have to sit with it. And if you can have a mindfulness practice just for the very fact that maybe you don't have to go through that all day long or all week long or all month long or all year long in some people's cases. But if you can just have a moment to reflect self-aware and then shift, shift just a little bit in that moment, how that brings some space and actually productivity. I'm glad you brought that up. That's the trick right there is that acceptance also means letting go, right? And so I think for anyone who's listening out there and thinking mindfulness will be great for productivity, if we do mindfulness for my staff, the, the results are going to improve, right? It's kind of a, you know, if you get caught up in that, that's the problem too, right? If thinking I need to be more mindful to improve my results, right? Then you're connecting it to an end result. And that sort of reinforces the reactivity, right? It's this idea of like, well, why isn't this working? You know, and so it's it's the disconnecting from the results, the the acceptance of what is coming up no matter what, right? That's when it really happens, I think then the quality of mind shifts in a way that all the other things tend to line up as well. So yeah, I think that's also why people love, you know, I'll talk to some folks who have trouble doing this during their workday because we have just habits, habits of like kind of busyness. And that when we go away, maybe, and I'll see CEOs at a CEO retreat or something like that. And then everybody takes moments to, you know, aim the arrow, so to speak, instead of just flying, you know, flinging your arrows everywhere. But the moment to breathe, focus, aim that arrow, we see such better results in our organizations, but also just so much more peace within ourselves. Whereas we thought that that busyness and that constant kind of tightness is serving us. And I'm a victim of this. I, actually, I'm in this right now. So this is really good for me to hear that I just need to remain busy and productive and get stuff done and just try everything. And if I, I can tell, I said to Tatiana the other day, I need to take a moment. I need to, I need to have a, a, an hour to have a really focused meditation for myself on our business you know, on like, why am I feeling like I have to do a bit of everything right now? And how can I just take a breath and start to have a clearer vision so that people can coalesce around that? So that is really, I love that idea of aversion. I don't think that I've heard that explained so clearly before. So I appreciate that. Sorry to cut you off, Christine, uh, is um, we talk about how busy we are. We don't have time. We don't have time. And we can't afford 
the minutes that we spend in meditation, but we really kind of can't afford not to do this. Um, if someone said to you, here's a pill that's going to make you peaceful, make you calmer, uh, make you feel better, like it kind of would take it in a sense, right? You're like, yeah, anything that will help me out, make me feel peaceful, make me feel calmer. But there is this aversion to this sitting, this this process. And I think it has to do with a lot of the stigma around this. Like I said, when I Googled it, it said, clear your mind. And naturally, we're thinking constantly all the time, right? So we just don't do it. We, we don't sit down. We don't take the five minutes, the two minutes um, that it might take just to kind of settle down and not clear our mind, but you know, just to be still, just to look at our minds. How interesting and radical is that, that we would sit down for two minutes just to look at thoughts. And as busy people, we think there's so much to do because we want to be productive at work, right? So we don't feel like we can take two minutes out of our busy day to what we think is doing nothing, like to, you know, positive intelligence. There's the the meditation where you're kind of feeling your, your fingertips. Um, and that's two minutes. But sometimes when I talk to folks about that, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I have to do something else. There's, there's just this weird resistance about it. And, you know, I'll tell you a story that, that I have. It's, it's not like a, a real, real story, but, um, I've heard other like meditation teachers talk about this. And I don't know if Matt, that you've heard of, of this, but like, I will go like a month without meditating and I will run meditations for other people, but for some reason, just not sit and do it myself. And this week is funny. We're talking about like things that are happening, you know, just recently, uh, last week I went to a conference that I didn't want to go to. Sorry for all of the folks who hear this that were at that conference. I went, it was lovely, it's fine, but I have an aversion to conferences, like to networking, being with people. So leading up to the conference, I was out of sorts. Let me tell you, talk about um, emotional uh, regulation. I was not regulated at all. And just was going through the days, like really kind of erratic. And then my partner, Jay, he's like, why don't you just sit? And he doesn't even meditate. I try to get him to meditate all the time. He's like, nah, I can't do it. But here he is. He's telling me, you know, my lack of awareness, my Dunning-Kruger, because I think that I'm aware, right? But he's like, ah, you're not being aware. You need to sit. And, you know, sometimes when our partners or our spouses tell us things and we don't want to listen to them because we think they're not going to the boss of me or they don't know better than I do. It's kind of like, you know, automatically we don't want to listen, but I listened, I listened to this and, and I sat and I sat three days before I sat and I meditated and I meditated for about 10 minutes at a time, just looking at my breath and looking at my thoughts while I was there. And it wasn't as terrible and bad as I thought. And of course, Jay, then he was like, so, you know, how was it? I'm like, it was it was kind of cool. It wasn't you know as bad. So I don't know. Sometimes sitting or meditating gives you a little bit of perspective. You know. Yes, and you can give Jay the win. Give him the win. Give him the win. He's the guru, the mini guru for the day. Exactly. I I just wanted to also make a, a mention. I mentioned Dunning Kruger effect. I don't know if anybody has, has ever heard of this. Uh, I fell in love with this concept. Um, 
there's a study that was done and I'm going to botch this so you guys can jump in and, and explain it. But there's a study that was done with college students uh, kind of trying to figure out how smart they thought they were. Um, and the students that thought they were like super, super smart were actually low on the totem pole. They, they reported that they were really, really smart. And when they did these assessments with the students, they were really low on, on the totem pole. And the kids that were higher up, higher ranking, did not report that they were smarter, as smart as they really were. And as a result, they noticed in, in groups in general, um, there's a large swath of the population that believes that they are smarter or better or like in in the top percentile when they really are in the low percentile. And there's a small percentage of folks who will accurately report that they are as smart as they are. And they, the reason for this is the kids that are smarter or really in that top percentile, they think that everybody else is as smart as them. So they didn't believe that they were smarter than these other folks. But um, so they called it Dunning-Kruger effect, named after the um, the researchers who, who did the study. It, and when you, it comes up, it's kind of like folks that think they're smarter than what they really are. <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> or more self-aware than they really are, right? Uh, well, yes. Either, either. Um, oh. Okay, so that that's great. And I think, you know, there's probably all of you out there can think of moments that you've gone into conversations where you weren't as focused or as aware. And one thing that has helped me, and really, you know, Elaine and, and Matt have done a great job in our organization bringing this up more. Like, can we have a moment of meditation? Or if there's a lot going on in the world, um, and it seems like there is always, but you know, if, if it, if people are coming into the office or we're coming into big all hands staff meeting, right. If they're coming into that and they and I can feel there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of aversion. There's a lot of whatever going on out there. A lot of times I'll have a moment now where instead of me feeling like I have to meet that moment, and I've said this before, or go into it just to have a moment to breathe all together. We'll start off with just closing the eyes, or if I don't feel like I'm in a place where I can lead it, I'll often ask Matt or Elaine or um, somebody else in our office to lead a simple, you know, five, 10 minute meditation, you know, two minutes, like she said, if you only have it, do it for two, something. And it just takes all that frenetic energy that can sometimes be really hard to start a staff meeting. Because trust me, if that energy or that feeling is in the room and lots of people's minds are going everywhere, uh, they're not thinking about what you're going to say anyway. So whatever update, whatever executive update I'm about to say is going out the window, half of it's not going to be remembered anyway. And so that moment of like taking a minute to breathe or have someone else, if I can't do it, having one of these guys settle us and just let us breathe and quietly, whether it's a guided meditation or just sitting in, in silence has really helped. And sometimes I do it selfishly because maybe everybody else is fine, but I don't feel like it. I feel like I've just run here off the train or I've got, I'm nervous about what I have to say, or maybe the news I have to give people isn't good. Whatever it is, I may need that moment. And if I can feel that I'm about to start a meeting in kind of a crappy place or an aversion place, I'll often do a little roll out of the shoulders, a breath, and just say, can we all just take a minute here to breathe? And I'm telling you that this will be less and less unusual in workplaces very, very soon. 
Um, and so you can do them in your smaller meetings, depending on folks, or just even if you start with 20 seconds, sometimes can be, can make all the difference. And taking that moment really helps me then start my team meetings in a very different place, a much more focused place. Same thing if you have to have a really hard conversation with someone, anything from the hardest conversation of terminating someone's employment to telling them that that some of the behavior that they've done is, is inappropriate, whatever is difficult conversation. When I've had that moment before I go in that door of just taking a deep breath and like thinking about it before I go, the results are hugely different because certainly earlier on in my career, I did not take that moment. And I often went into conversations with the power of my emotion, right? Thinking that this, that I was more powerful and more righteous gave me a strong feeling to have those conversations, but they always went sideways. They always went sideways. And so I'm trying now to have less of those. It's harder, surprisingly, I don't know if this is true for you guys. It's harder at home. I feel like I'm much more disciplined about how I behave at the office than I do, you know, with the people that you live with and love with the most. And so my next step is to try to do that more uh, with my teenagers and with my husband. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're absolutely listening to this. So they'll uh, come. (laughs) I wish they were listening, but if you are listening, I'll be there. I'll try. I'll try. Um, So what are some ways that companies can do this? Like, is it something that needs to be mandated? Is it some, you know, like those are the questions sometimes I get, like we have open meditation time and nobody comes. And certainly we've done that too. Right. And so then we think, oh, do we mandate it? Because, you know, that's the way to go. Well, we've mandated it and we get pushback sometimes from folks. Like what is the rights and wrongs of this? There is a little bit of data on that, but not a lot yet. Um, I think What's your, what is your guys' opinion on any of that? What's your opinion? Because these are opinions, right? Not dating. Yeah. What's your opinion? So mandated. No. Okay. No. We know mandating doesn't work, but I think it can be weaved into meetings. Good Lord. There are too many meetings. I mean, I'm sure the three of us, once we leave here, we have another meeting we have to go to, but that if we can start a practice or you can start a practice because we, we kind of, as Christine says that mentioned during our, uh, our staff meetings, we call them popcorns during our popcorns, she'll start us off with an awesome meditation and then then folks will kind of like weave meditations throughout the day. So we know that's not everybody's workplace, uh, but what people can do is weave them into uh, meetings and one-on-ones, especially one-on-ones when, you know, sometimes the information might be a little sensitive and vulnerable. Um, It's nice to kind of ground yourselves. But the point is that it doesn't have to be, this is the time we're going to meditate, but just can be weave a two minute meditation in starting a conversation or a meeting. And if folks are not really comfortable with this, sometimes I like to ask people to keep their eyes open. So, and not call it a meditation, just say, let's breathe. Let's take three deep breaths in and out. I mean, we're, we're all breathing, right? Everybody's good at that. So for those who are uncomfortable with meditation, you can start off with three deep breaths, but to really uh, narrate it. So to start with a deep breath in through your nose, out through your nose, but you want to take in all the air that you possibly can and hold it. And now let, let go of all of that air from the bottom of your lungs, letting go every bit of air from your body and do that three times. So you don't have to call these meditations. Um, they can be breathing exercises. Yeah. Also, if, if people are uncomfortable, you know, 
I'm sometimes uncomfortable, right? I didn't have a lot of confidence in it until I realized it didn't have to be, you know, that big of a deal. But if you're uncomfortable, there's someone in your staff that is comfortable with it, right? If you know your people, and we talk about this all the time, really knowing your crew, knowing the people that work for you, you will find out if they, you know, which is what happened with Matt and Elaine, because people who meditate generally are not loud about, (laughs) loud about that, right? You have to really start to know people to go, oh, they go to the meditation center all the time, or they're, this, this person has a practice of this. So I could then say, hey, Matt, do you feel comfortable leading quick two minutes, you know, and give them a time frame and see how it goes and see what the feedback is because you get immediate feedback from it. Well, as soon as people do it, you look around the room and you can say, if you're comfortable, close your eyes. That way, if people aren't comfortable, they can. They can also put out a, I've seen some young people in our office will get out a one of the apps, Headspace or Calm, and put on one that is done by somebody else, right? There's tons of YouTube videos on it that people can get out there and use as well. But I really am an advocate for finding out somebody else in your office that can do that or on your team that can lead that empowers them as well and is a way for them to marry these pieces of work and home life, right? And and marry, they bring all of themselves at work. All right, Matt, what about you? Yeah. Any, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I agree. I think introducing it in meetings is helpful. Uh, what I would say is it's, you know, doing it for a group of say 25 people, like we would do, for example, it, you know, there's some people who are not going to feel connected to it, right? It's not going to just be alluring to them then. But I think as long as we continue to do it and it becomes part of what's expected, that is helpful, I believe. And I want to caution, it's important that it doesn't become a box checking exercise, right? And that is so easy to do, right? As soon as you're done with the breathing, you would call it focusing on your breath, call it meditation. The ego is very good at quickly getting back to business, right? And so I think for for supervisors, for leaders, for CEOs, for company owners who want to do this, it's helpful that they practice because then they'll see the pitfalls in it. Then they'll see the way their mind works. And then that's, that's when you can begin to make that leap into uh, helping others. And where I think it can really take off for an organization is when people start to use it in other contexts other than, you know, getting getting a group together, getting a group to calm down, right, is, you know, maybe a targeted mindfulness if, you know, like you brought up the example of, of breathing before you have a difficult conversation, right? That's a great way of how breathing in a space can then have a different application altogether, right? What are you feeling, you know, in that moment, you know, thinking about like what what comes up for me what's a common theme that comes up for me in these situations that's what i'm discovering for me is is what seems to be pretty consistent is this not wanting right this thing shouldn't be like this when when i when i can look and i can be honest with myself before a difficult conversation for example like you mentioned i tend to have this experience where i'm like i shouldn't have to have this conversation this shouldn't be happening right now if they had only done x y and z this wouldn't be a problem and we wouldn't therefore have to be talking about it you know that comes up for me a lot right? is this idea of like, it shouldn't be this way. This shouldn't have happened. And if I'm not aware of that, it's probably not as helpful to bring that into that conversation, this underlying attitude of the mind of we shouldn't be having this conversation anyway, right? Because that filter, again, I'm going to use that word again, that filter is there and that's influencing how I communicate with this person. And so to me, that is connected to the breathing exercise that we do at the beginning of a meeting, right? It's a moment where we intentionally and sincerely ask ourselves, what is going on, right? What am I feeling like? What's that mental, emotional pattern that, that is happening for me right now? Do I see a connection between this situation and another situation where I felt similarly? And if so, what does that mean for me? So I think t- 
to get to that place as a company where more people are thinking that way, or even if they're not thinking that way, but if it's even comfortable for us to use that language, right? When, when coaching or when having meetings, that people have to be committed, they have to know what their experience is. And you mentioned people who, who practice mindfulness tend to not be loud about it. I think it's because once you sincerely look and understand what's going on in your mind, there's not a whole lot for you to be loud about, right? It's like, oh, yeah, this is how I really am. I'm not really going to broadcast that. If, you know, <laughs> if I'm being honest with myself, you probably don't want to see what's going on in my mind. Um, so I think that that authenticity is, is what really has to come with mindfulness, right? That authenticity of what is really happening for me right now. Yeah, it's great. I think there's some pitfalls, you know, for people to avoid. I think mindfulness is highly personal. And so I I agree with you guys saying, you know, it, mandating is probably not the way to start. Um, the funny thing is, is that we've tried, though, when I do that in a staff meeting, is that people are invited to take that minute. And of course, they can think about other things or, you know, whatever. They don't have to do it. But it is modeling, right? It is modeling something that gives people an opportunity that would not perhaps show up at a mindfulness or yoga morning that you offered to your employees who wanted to come early, right? So it allows you to get to the to the bigger group and give them a taste of it before you offer maybe something more targeted later on. I think also some of the pitfalls though that can happen that we've actually seen and someone was complaining about it to me at the office. We have somebody that to remain nameless, uh, the client that we, a big client we work with, um, ha calls a meeting with like tons of people, uh, tons of different vendors into this meeting. And then everybody thinks, okay, we've got a, you know, an hour and a half or three hours, whatever the time is to get a lot of work done. And then they, they start with like 30 minutes of silence. And to me, that is just incredibly lazy. Like the whole time I would be there, even if that is good, that seems and feels mandated and also feels like I'm in the middle of my workday, come to your meeting and like 30 minutes, I'm going to next time I'm showing up 30 minutes late and you're creating like the wrong kind of thing. You know what I mean? So if you want to do a couple of minutes, but what it feels like is you're not ready to start your meeting. And so that, that you also have to be aware <laughs> to start in much smaller ways and communicate the why of why, you know, why you're doing this. But what are some, we, we have a few minutes left and I want to make sure that people have some actionable tips of ways to incorporate or things that you can do either with your teams or by yourself to cultivate an environment or a sense of mindfulness. So I'm just going to go back and forth. Elaine, what's one tip that you have that people can do? Um, have a buddy that they have someone that they, they, uh, meditate with or engage in mindfulness practices with so that they have somebody to ping pong off of. And it's an accountability piece. Love it. Matt, what's one for you? Um, I would say just, just reflect on the level of intentionality there. Um, because if it feels like you're doing it for that purpose, it's going to be a problem. And there are other things you could do. This this is maybe not necessarily an endorsement of mindfulness, but there are other things you can do to to get you present that will that will improve your sense of well being in the workplace. So if it's mindfulness, I'm a big advocate for that. If if that feels like you're not ready for that, then I think just bringing that level of how I, I want to be intentional about my well being in the workplace. And so how do you answer that question? Great. My tip I'm going to add, and then I'll round robin this one again. One tip I'm going to talk is comes back to that multitasking thing, because I think that can be difficult to manage. And I think 
that I try this sometimes is I'll take, I have a little timer and I try to do a single tasking. So I'll say, okay, right now I'm going to, for the next, you know, this is about five minutes. I'm going to just single task on this one thing. And then after that, I can single task again on another. And really it's only five minutes. Can I do it? And I have to, it's practice for my brain because in this world of social media and everything else, we're constantly, our attention is moving. And so I really have to, that five minutes is sometimes difficult, which seems crazy. Um, so that's where it's just practicing single tasking is my tip. So Elaine, what's another one? Um, mindful eating. I know it sounds crazy. When you go to lunch and do it at work, you can do it at home if you want. But if you take that moment to just notice the food that you eat, it's going to feel weird the first time you do, do it. You don't have to talk to anybody about it, but to just notice the food, taste it, really savor it, see what each flavor is like in your mouth, on your tongue, but eating mindfully at lunch, you your break time will go much further. Love it. Matt? Uh, I do this a lot at work because I have so many different ways of communication. I turn my phone on airplane mode when I know I need this time to do just one thing. Because if I, if I don't turn it off, I will get interrupted. So I, I you know turn it on airplane mode. And then when that time is up, turn it back on. Yeah, turn it back yeah. on. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, quickly, I love she it. Wants also, me to turn I'm going gonna... That's the challenge. <laughs> no, I didn't even know you did it. So that's good. Now I know. Um, now, I mine's called twenty twenty twenty. Somebody taught at work taught us this, and that is about every twenty minutes. If you're in front of these zooms, especially, or you're in front of your computer screen for a long period of time, about every twenty minutes or so, take a take a 20 second break to turn away and look 20 feet away, at least 20 feet if you can, or the furthest that you possibly can. And that just change your, changes your vision and just gives you a break, a, a 20 second kind of mini break. So we call it 20, 20, 20. If you can't do it exact, you know, none of this stuff has to be, we don't have to be uh, too strict with ourselves, but about that, if you, you don't think about it for three hours, do it then. But, you know, just do it for a 20 second break can sometimes mean all the world. All right, Elaine, you got one more? Yep. Start small. Start with two minutes. Um, and I want to go back to that um, activity of just taking your your index finger and your thumb, put them together right now, feel the ridges, outer ridges of your index finger with your thumb, and now feel the outer ridges of your thumb with your index finger. Notice what your fingerprints feel like and do that for two minutes. Awesome. <laughs> I've realized I need a manicure. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Matt? What's one? Um, before you make a phone call, Zoom call, any meeting in person, whatever, ask yourself what you're feeling before you start that conversation. Just see if you can authentically answer that question of how are you feeling and be okay with whatever you're feeling. Just see if you can be aware of it. I love it. I think that's so important for anybody going into any conversation. Just that that little check-in of how am I feeling is a good question because if you don't know, don't go into that conversation. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know, right? That's part of the 95% of us claim to be self-aware, right? So the first part is like, maybe I don't know how I'm feeling. Like take that moment. Um, my, my last tip before we go is just a mindfulness walk. And it might be that it's just a pacing around your office. It might be that you're just, you know, running up and down the stairs. It could be that you're just doing a, you know, you need a walk around the block in the middle of uh, at, at work because something's going on, but just to also incorporate movement. Mindfulness doesn't have to be just sitting on the cushion as Elaine says, which goes back to 
a uh, meditation practice, but it can be the reason I think that she said off the cushion is it can be anywhere, right? And it can also be moving. It can be driving. It can be sometimes I notice how tense I am driving and just letting my fingers, you know, my thumb hold onto the steering wheel, letting my fingers um, kind of dance around can be part of that meditation, right? Move a meditation within movement or taking a break. It does not have to be like I'm sitting there watching my thoughts. It can be done while you're moving as well. So, all right. Thank you guys so much. Try something out, try it. You know, that we always say that this part of this is just, they call it a mindfulness practice because it's not perfection, right? It's just a practice. How can we add a little bit of this practice into our workday to become more productive, more conscious, to have better, to listen more, to have better interactions with people? Try it. Try something. I bet you you're going to see your productivity actually increase rather than our fear, which is if we take too much time, we'll get lethargic or we won't, you know, we'll just want to go to sleep. That is usually the absolute opposite, but you can also use it before you go to sleep. <laughs> if you're having trouble sleeping, uh, taking a, just a two minutes or, you know, if you can do more than that, great. Um, just to kind of let your day go is also really powerful. So I want to thank Matt and Elaine so much for being here. If you're interested in learning more about them or what we, what you could do with meditation, check out the liner notes. You'll see them in future episodes or maybe even in past episodes. Check it out. I know Elaine's episode on strengths finders and growth mindset is coming up next if you're interested in a little more of Elaine. But to take us out, I'm going to ask you, Elaine, can you just I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you just do a loving kindness meditation so that people can see one before they go? And if you're at home, you could take this as just a minute or so to, uh, for yourself right now. We'll do it together. Okay. Sure. Thank you, Christy. Yeah. So if you're in a comfortable position, you can put both of your feet on the floor and take your hands, put Stack them one on top of the other, palms faced up, um, and just notice your breath in this moment. You can feel free to close your eyes or you can leave them open and have your gaze set one foot in front of yourself. And just notice your breath in this moment where your breath comes in and just noticing how your breath goes out. And... The meditation we're going to do is called Metta, M-E-T-T-A. It is a Pali word. Um, It means loving kindness, and we're going to give loving kindness to ourselves. As I say the phrases aloud, you'll just say them quietly to yourself. May I be happy. May I live with ease. I be safe. I be healthy. Give yourself your whole heart as you so deserve it. May I be happy. May I live with ease. May I be healthy. Bring your attention back to the breath. Ready? You can open your eyes. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody um, out there. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day.
Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast producer, Richard Francisco. Check out our notes for any details. And if you get anything out of this, please follow us. And if you enjoy it, please take a moment to rate us or write a comment. It will mean the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you just can't get enough, follow me on TikTok and check out tlpnyc.com slash podcast for more information.